Well, hey there, UCC and friends of UCC. Megan Trishler here. Every once in a while, we have some challenges with our recording of our Sunday morning messages, and that was the case last weekend. And so I am re-recording a message that was shared with the church on Sunday, January 28th. It is, as you can imagine, a little bit different to be preaching a sermon in the quiet and calm of my house uh, than it is on a Sunday morning um, amongst the body of Christ. But I'm going to do my best to uh, remain true to the integrity of the message that was preached last weekend with the hopes uh, that it speaks to you in just the way that it needs to speak to you. So here we go. We've been working our way through Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 1. And as I said on Sunday, when I am reading the gospels, um, and not just when I'm reading the gospels, but when I'm reading the gospels, I, I tend to have two questions that are stirring around in my mind. And the first is just who exactly is Jesus? Uh, what's he about? What does he do? What does he teach? Who is he? And then the second question is, if I believe he is who he says he is and who the scripture tells me he is, well, what difference does that make? What difference does that make in the life of the world? And what difference does that make in my life personally? And so th those are the two questions that I want to bring into our conversation with Mark's gospel today. And as I said, we're continuing in a sermon series in Mark 1. I am going to read uh, verse 21 through 28, and then we will explore it together. And I am reading from the NRSV today. So here we go, Mark 1, starting in verse 21. They, that's Jesus and his disciples, they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. So Jesus and his disciples, they travel to Capernaum, and right away we learn that Jesus is in the synagogue teaching. Verse 22 says that the worshipers who were gathered that day were astounded at his teaching. Scripture says, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And so I ask uh, the, the folks who were gathered on Sunday this question, and I'll ask it here again to you as you're listening. Uh, it's this question, what, what's different? What's different about Jesus's teaching? What were those worshipers noticing that day? And I think to answer that question, we first might want to ask, who are these scribes that Jesus is being compared to? 
Okay, so it's likely that the scribes were a local group of devout, literate men who taught in the synagogues. They were scholarly interpreters of the law, and they recited God's law. That's who they were. And it's also likely that these scribes would have been part of a system of training, system of learning, where they sat underneath the authority of another teacher. That's how it worked. A scribe sat under the authority of another teacher who sat under the authority of another teacher who sat under the authority of another teacher, and so on and so forth. And in some ways, that's still how things work today. Think about it for a minute. In many ways, this is discipleship, right? It's likely that you have learned something about God, something about Jesus, something about God's kingdom because you've sat beneath someone who has passed on what they know and what they've been taught. And I think we can apply this method of learning to our spiritual lives, most certainly, and to our spiritual development and our spiritual growth. And we can apply it to other areas of learning as well, other parts of our education and our development. And I shared on Sunday that I, uh, many people at UCC know that my formal training, my background is in design, graphic design, visual communication. And I studied, I went to school in Detroit, and I studied under a woman named Susan Laporte. And I was so delighted to sit at the feet of Susan Laporte because she was and is still an incredible designer, an incredible design educator. And as I got to know more and more of my design history and understand this field of study that I was entering into, I quickly came to see that Susan had sat under the teaching, sat under the authority of a woman named Lorraine Wilde, who in her own right is this incredible designer, still operates a studio, I think, uh, in L.A. And Lorraine sat under the authority of another amazing woman named Kathy McCoy, who in herself was just an incredible design educator. And so when I took over the classroom, when someone thought it was a good idea to give me a classroom of students at the age of 24 or 25, you better believe I told those students who my teacher was, that I had learned from Susan Laporte because they knew who she was. And I felt that by telling them who she was, whose teaching I had sat under, that this would give me a kind of authority or right, so to speak, to teach. So the scribes referenced here in the passage had sat under the authority of other wise teachers, but something was different about Jesus. Whose authority was he sitting beneath? We read earlier in Mark 1, we're going to see that the Spirit of God has just descended upon Jesus at his baptism. The Spirit of God comes and rests upon him. A holy anointing takes place. Jesus is not operating under human authority, but rather under divine authority, power from on high. And he was beneath the authority of God then, on that day, teaching in the synagogue. And I believe he is still operating under that divine authority today. And so that leaves us confronted with a question. If we believe Jesus is who he says he is, who the scripture tells us he is, that he is one who is under the authority of the creator of the universe, what then are we to make of his teaching.
What do we make of his teaching? Now, I don't know about you, uh, but I am often struck by just how challenging Jesus' teaching is. Sometimes it's challenging just to get our minds around it, to understand it intellectually, to try to make sense of what it is that Jesus is teaching. But even when we can do that, beyond that, what's most challenging to me is actually trying to live it, actually trying to embody the teaching that Jesus has for us. There is a New Testament scholar that I really have come to appreciate named Scott McKnight, and I saw him speak about four years ago or so, where he said this. He said, being formed to the cross is a nice idea until you try to live it because it's painful. Think about it just for a minute, friends. What is it that Jesus teaches? He teaches us enemy love. He teaches radical inclusion of the outsider. He teaches us proximity to the poor. He calls us to sow peace, not violence. And he says, be peacemakers. Don't wait for peace to pursue you. Pursue it. Be peacemakers. He says, don't store up your wealth. He says, consider the lilies. (laughs) And he says, forgive. How many times... Peter said seven, Jesus said 77, of course. And these are just the basic concepts, right? These are just the broad brushstrokes, so to speak, of Jesus' teaching. When we dive deep into the pages of Scripture, he gets even more specific. Jesus' teaching, I think, can be very challenging. But if we believe Jesus is who he says he is, who the scripture tells us he is, that he is one who is under the authority of the creator of the universe, then I must ask us to consider again, what are we to do with his teaching? I think that first we have to seek it. We have to go to scripture regularly. We have to understand and seek what is it exactly that Jesus teaches. And then we have to try to understand it. We have to read in community. We have to lean on the wisdom of others, people who have been on this journey longer than us. We have to wrestle with what it is Jesus is teaching us. And then we have to do the very hard thing of seeking to live it, day in and day out, relying on a whole lot of grace, remembering that perfection isn't the point. Jesus is after our hearts. He is endlessly merciful, endlessly forgiving, endlessly full of grace. But still, we have to try to live according to the rules of life that he lays out for us. If Jesus is who he says he is, that he is one who is under the authority of God Almighty, then his teaching is trustworthy. It's trustworthy. Let me throw a few more questions your way. These are things I've been pondering. I was pondering last week as I was preparing the sermon that I invited the church and now, by extension, you to consider along uh, with me. Is there a teaching that you have heard from Jesus? Could be something that you've heard long ago. Could be something you've come across recently. Is there a teaching you've heard from Jesus that you find difficult to live Is there something in the scriptures, something Jesus says, that you're really wrestling with right now? 
said this on Sunday, and I'll say it again, that my answer to both of those questions is yes, absolutely. Sometimes to follow in the way of Jesus is difficult, but just because it's hard doesn't mean we don't do it. Sometimes to be stretched in certain ways is painful. Just ask any mother who's given birth. But just because it's painful doesn't mean we don't take the risk to let Christ stretch and form us in the way that he wants to. Who is Jesus? He teaches us the way to life, and his teaching, I believe, can be trusted. Let's go back to the text, keep on going back to see what happens next, because things get wild in that synagogue. Uh, Let me revisit the passage here, verses 23 and following goes like this, Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. So what's going on here? I think to say it most simply is to say this. Jesus is practicing what he preaches. Jesus is doing what he teaches. It's already clear that his authority comes from above, comes from the Father. And because his authority comes from the creator of the universe, God Almighty, he has power like the creator of the cosmos does, meaning Jesus has power over all darkness, all evil, all sickness, anything that threatens life. We will continue to see Jesus cast out demons. We will see him heal disease. We will see him give sight to the blind. He will calm storms. He will make the lame walk. He will even resurrect a few people from the dead. No power, no evil, no darkness, not even death has authority over Christ. And we will see this over and over and over again in the scriptures. Colossians 1, Christ is supreme. We may, we may even hear ourselves say this from time to time. We say things like, Christ has overcome death. There is new life in Christ. Death is defeated. Things like this. The devil has no foothold here. We might hear ourselves say these things, which brings me to another question that I invite us to reflect on this week. As people trying to imitate Christ, as people trying to follow in the ways of Jesus, do we live like we believe Jesus has that kind of power still today? And if I am honest, I don't always live like I believe that's true. Uh, I told a story on Sunday. Let me try to tell it again. Uh, Some folks who were present on Sunday I thought might remember this, and the head nods that I received indicated that they did. Uh, Last fall, our community, University Christian Church, we joined forces with another local congregation called Calvary Missionary Baptist Church just up the street from us uh, in Cincinnati. And we did a little park outreach. We went to a, a park in a nearby neighborhood called MLK Park, Uh, to just do some simple kind of outreach. We had set up some food and gave away hot dogs and cookies and uh, fruit and things like this. 
And as we were getting going that afternoon, a, a woman, a middle-aged woman, walked into the park. And let's just say that she was disturbed and she was disturbing. Uh, she was uh, starting to get a little bit vulgar, starting to get a little bit violent, um, approaching people. And there were some people present that morning from our group who just point blank said that woman is possessed by a demon. Don't pay her any attention. Uh, don't even look at her, just ignore what's going on here. And then there were some other others who were present uh, who had a slightly different take on what was going on. They said this woman is suffering from some severe mental illness. And uh, regardless of where you might fall on, on your understanding of whether there was something demonic happening or, or some mental illness, uh, I think it's fair to say that this woman was suffering from some darkness of some kind. And a young fella uh, named Lamar, who's become a, a friend of the churches and a friend of a few of us, he did something that just astonished me. I looked over and Lamar had this woman in a bear hug. And if that wasn't astonishing enough, the thing that he did next really just, uh, just kind of knocked my socks off. I saw Lamar just start to say, Jesus, 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 as he held this woman in a bear hug. And um, I was amazed. I was confounded by this. I thought of it for many days afterwards, and I still do. I was thinking of it this week. Lamar seems to live, seems to live believing that there is still power in the name of Jesus, power in the name to overcome darkness, disturbance, anything that threatens life. And that was on display that day through Lamar's actions. So again, a couple questions for us to ponder. What might happen? What might change in our lives if we dared to live like we believe that too, that there is still power in the name of Jesus to overcome darkness, to overcome anything that threatens life? And I asked the church on Sunday, and I'll speak it again here, just invite you to reflect. Is there an area in your life, something in your story that needs the powerful name of Jesus spoken over, over it? Is there something in your past that keeps you held back, something in the present that is keeping you stuck in a spiral of the enemy's lies? What would it look like to invite Jesus in, to move in power in that space? Is there an area of your life that's been uh, kept apart from Jesus. Maybe you've given him authority over this part of your life, this little corner, and maybe that part of your life over there. But this other thing, I'm not so sure you might be saying, I'm not so sure I'm ready to give that part of me over to Jesus too. What would it look like to invite Christ into that part of you to move in power as only he can? Is there a physical space perhaps, your home, your classroom, a part of the city your neighborhood that desperately needs the powerful name of Jesus, the powerful presence of Jesus to move. Let me assure you that God is already there. We don't bring him, but our prayer, I believe, can unlock and unleash forces of good, forces of light to move in power against the darkness. What would it look like to invite Jesus to dwell in those places, to move as only he can
we all have areas in our life that need healing. We all have areas in our life that need healing. And good counseling can help. (laughs) Good therapy can help. And good friends and good community that will bear those burdens with us. This is critical. And I believe there is still power in the name of Jesus. Power to push against any forces that want to hold us back, keep us down, keep us from being who God created uh, created us to be. What might happen if we dared to live like we believe there is still power in Jesus' name. Our passage, our story from the scripture this morning concludes with a crowd of worshipers totally flabbergasted, chattering among themselves and then telling all their friends, verse 27 and 28, they were all amazed and they kept on asking one another, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Hear me clearly now, my friends. Hear me clearly. Jesus is more than a great teacher. He absolutely is a great great teacher, but he's more than that. Jesus is more than a great healer or a great worker of miracles. He is that, but he is so much more than that too. He comes with a message that says the kingdom of God has come near and I, Jesus, have rule and reign over this kingdom and in this kingdom, death, darkness, and evil of every kind do not win. We live in a world where it often feels like the opposite is true. I look around my neighborhood on a pretty regular basis And I hear myself say, everything is going to pot. This is terrible. And I look at my own life and the life of my family and my friends, and I see real struggle. And I see real suffering. And it's very tempting to throw up my hand sometimes and just say, what's the point? But if Jesus is who he says he is, if he comes with authority from on high, capable of pushing against the darkness until the darkness is no more, well, I think that changes things. That changes things because that that means that what I see in the world and what I see in my neighborhood and what I see in our city isn't the whole story. And that means that the broken parts of myself that I see all too clearly and the stuff that I can't see... (laughs) Those things aren't the entirety of my story. Jesus on the scene, God coming near in Christ means that there is another reality, a better reality, a kingdom reality operating in the background, background, and it's a kingdom built upon shalom. It is built upon the pillars of harmony, wholeness, justice, goodness, flourishing, and the like. Jesus on the scene, the one who knows you by name, means that you have a part to play in the coming of that kingdom. And it means that every day, day by day, we move together into the most downtrodden corners of our communities, into the most stubborn corners of our own hearts with a message of hope that says darkness will not overcome. Jesus on the scene, I believe, makes a difference because Jesus has the power to transform life for the better. And my friends... We are the messengers of this gospel. We share it with our lips and we try our best to live it 
with our lives, relying a whole lot on that spirit moving in us to help us move forward. Began the message uh, this morning and this afternoon saying that I often read the Gospels asking two questions. Who is Jesus? What is he about? What does he teach? What does he do? And if I believe he is who he says he is, what difference does he make? What difference does he make in my life personally? And what difference does he make in the life of the world? And I hope what I've shared today helps you start to answer those questions for yourself. I believe God is up to something restorative in this fractured world, and he's looking for partners, as we say around here all the time. And so I am committing today, I said this on Sunday, and I'll say it again, and I am recommitting today to continue to find ways to boldly proclaim this good news to a generation hungry for it. To a generation hungry for it. I invite you all to commit to that today as well. There is a new king and a new kingdom afoot, and it cannot be stopped. Amen.